Welcome to the Legacy Church Amelia Island podcast. We are so glad that you have joined us. Wherever you're listening from today, we believe that this message will help you to know God and leave a lasting legacy on this earth. Well, church family, why don't you go ahead and put your hands together for the goodness of our God, our King. What a great pleasure and honor it is to be gathered right here in this house, honoring His name. I love to see our family going around and meeting new faces and introducing yourself. This is what we all are about here at Legacy Church. And so if this is your first time here, my name is Carlos. I'm a second generation pastor and have the privilege to pastor this local church body. And so we are so thrilled and excited that we get to do this. You know, you can do church or man, you have the opportunity to be in God's presence. And we choose to believe every single time that we gather here, we gather in the presence of God. Someone say amen. And so as a church family, we're coming off 21 days of prayer and fasting, and we are watching God do the miraculous. I'm getting all kinds of reports, whether it's this morning or this past week, of God just moving in some great ways. And what we have seen, we've seen God move some major mountains. It's been really remarkable. We've also seen him move some people that were the mountains. And so it's just so neat to see how God moves and works on his people who are called by his name, humble themselves, repent, turn from some ways, and watch him come and heal the land. Amen? Well, we're heading to this new series, and the series is called Return to the Table. This is one that you're going to want to be engaged in. You're going to make every single message, whether you're in the city or on the road, please do your best to tune in and to stay with the message because they're going to build every single week on each other been praying and processing about this message for some time. I know in this month of February, can you believe it? We're already in the second month of the year, that God is going to release something. He's going to create an expectation. He's going to stir something in us if we see him for who he is. I want you to hear that. If we see him for who he is and not who people have made him to be, not what circumstances sometimes dictate we think he may be for, for who he is. And each week is going to be very intentional. At the end of this series, which will be maybe four or five weeks, we're going to arrive at the table. You're going to see what the Father has been longing the entirety of your life. He just wants you to bring you to the table and to be intimate with you in ways that you have not seen him before. And so for the next few moments, I want to pour my heart out today in the same way that God was speaking to me at 2.30, 3.30 this morning. I want to talk to you about the heart of the Father. I want to talk to you about God's heart and what that means and and how that should affect our lives. Will you pray with me? Father, will you continue to make yourself known? Well, there was an atmosphere in worship here where people were longing for you and crying out for you and, and welcoming your presence. And I pray, Lord, that that doesn't stop. Lord, that as we open your word and as we speak and teach, the only truth in this world is your word because whatever you say is truth. And so today we say, let God be true and every man be a lie. Today we say every hang up, every hindrance, every barrier from drawing close to you, Father, we say may it be cast down. Lord, I'm crazy enough to believe that if we are hungry, we leave full. Holy Spirit, this is our act of demonstration of welcoming you into this place. We are yours. Speak to us through your word, I pray in Jesus' name. Someone say amen. So in this series, there's going to be some specific words that we're going to use because we're going to unpack them because we believe that God is going to reshape your understanding around some some words. And so I want to play a quick game of word association. Do you know what that is? 
You see a word, and whenever it first comes into your mind, that kind of shapes your vision around it. So I'm going to put a list of words up here that we're going to review in this series. The first word is going to be the Father. Someone say Father. The first word is Father. I wonder what's the first thought that comes to your mind with the Father. We're going to unpack that one here in the series today. But then from the Father, we're going to go here. We're going to talk about the home. Someone say the home. The first words or the first thoughts that come into your mind when you see that word home. We're going to follow that with the temple. Someone say the temple. And what that might mean or, or not mean to you. Maybe restore what that looks like. And the last, we're going to meet at the table. Someone say the table. And here's where we're going to finish in this series that we're going to walk through methodically God's view and God's heart on these subjects. It's going to be important because in this series, what I'm going to challenge you to do is ask the tough questions, not the ones that you've already kind of formulated what it means to you and kind of what your perceptions are going back to um, life and and how you relate to things and and people who were well-meaning kind of taught you things. But I want to ask you to ask the tough questions and take a fresh look at the father, the home, the temple, and the table. I want to view this no longer from a cultural Christian mindset, but from a biblical mindset. Not from a mindset of a, of a summer camp somewhere, or a church you've been at, from what God says about these things and about these words. And maybe you'll arrive at a place that I've arrived in my life where I found out that being in church for almost 40 years and, and, and all the things that come with that, I've got to undo some things in my life. Because there are some things that are a bit skewed because I read the word of God and I say, well, that's not how I view it. Have you ever found that? You're like, you're really like, well, that's not how I feel about that subject. <laughs> that's not what I want to think about it. No, I don't like that, God. You ask too much. That costs too much. That's way too consistent. That's a little more than I bargained for. I just want you to bless me. I don't want the hard stuff. Like I've arrived at places in my journey where I'm like, yeah, I didn't know you'd be that God. You mature, you also find out you didn't know Satan to be who he was either. Because, man, sometimes the heads will be brought down and he's been given some authority that you have to remind yourself, yeah, God says this stops at some point. God has said he can only go so far at some point. And so you begin to mature in your faith. You're like, yeah, I didn't see it like this. But now that I read your word, God, I see it like this. So here's what I want to ask you. Are you ready for the question? Who is God the Father to you? If you're new to our spiritual gatherings, if you're new to the faith, God is revealed in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's the triune being. He's perfect and seamless as one God, but revealed in three different ways. And so today we're going to talk about God the Father in the heart of God the Father. And today, if I do what God sent me here to do, if it's my last message I ever get to preach, here will be what I hope you walk away with, knowing the heart of God the Father. You know, some of you are auditory learners. You can kind of, you can hear it and you can get it. But if you're like me, you're a visual learner. That you can hear a lot, but when you see it, it'll be seared in your brain. Anybody that kind of learner? I want something to sear in your brain today. I was a kid, but I remember seeing this, 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 this visual in 1992 at the the Summer Olympics in Barcelona. And I want to show you this and see if you, you can see the heart of the Father here. I want to show you this just for a moment. How many know Derek Redmond was the Olympic athlete, but it was Jim Redmond, the father, who helped him get across the finish line? You see, what you don't know embedded in this story is the previous Olympics in Seoul in 1988, he had tore his Achilles right before the Olympics. And to make it to this Olympics in Barcelona, he had surgery just four months prior to his Achilles. And so what you saw was the complete breaking down of a man. 
mentally, emotionally, and physically. And I don't know where his dad took off from with the appropriate crew cut socks <laughs> and the dad's shorts and, and the hat. Like it was such a dad. And he took off from wherever he was in the stands watching and found his son. And did you see the security try to say, no, you got to get off the track, get off the track? And dad said, try. <laughs> I'd like to see you try. Because Derek had to stay in his lane to not be disqualified. He had to stay in his lane and make it all the way to the finish line. And if you don't know what the heart of the father is or the love of the father is, I want that vision to go with you the rest of your days. That no matter where you are, no matter what's going on, the father can't wait to jump out of his seat and come and just be with you and just put his arms around you and walk you to the finish line, whatever that looks like for you. This is the God I want to share with you today. This is the God that I may have to reintroduce you to because there was a time in my life that I had to be reintroduced to God that you love me like that. You want to carry me like that through, through the situations of life? You want to carry me to the finish line even when I don't have the physical strength? You want to do that? See, what you'll find out is your view on God is the most important thing about you. Your view on God will develop how you view yourself and how you view others. It'll, it'll help you develop how you view the home, the temple, and, and the table in its entirety. There's a, a quote by A.W. Tozer. He's a, he's a scholar of the faith, a theologian of the faith, and he says this about our view of God. It's a great quote. He says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So when I asked you, who is God the Father, whatever came into your mind, that's the most important thing about you. Not what you do, not your title, not where you live, not what your plans are, not get waking up to, to go to work tomorrow morning. The most important thing about you is what you think about God and how you view him. Where is God in my suffering? What is his disposition towards me when I fail? How does he really view me? These questions impact everything about us. And I want you to hear this clearly. Understanding of God doesn't come from us about him. It comes from him about him. This way, you and I today are going to have to undo some things. Undo some well-meaning people and, and well-meaning situations, well-meaning churches. And understanding of God doesn't come from us about him. It comes from him about him because you know what? I'm jaded by life, by circumstance, by people, by hardship. For me, sometimes peace can be a moving target. It can't come from me. It's got to come from him in his word. And there's this exchange in Exodus chapter 34. I'd love for you to open your Bible with me or open your apps with me right now. Exodus 34 verse 5. When God is given the opportunity to introduce himself to Moses, we know he sees him. The only one to see God face to face and live. When he gets his, an opportunity to introduce himself to Moses, it's pretty remarkable because previously in Genesis 1, he's introduced as Elohim, the creator, the all-powerful one. In Genesis 2, he's introduced as Yahweh, but we see a, a different form and version with some descriptions, descriptions here. In Genesis, or Exodus 34, 5, it says this, the Lord came down in a cloud. He's so sacred. He's so holy. We're told he comes down in a cloud. And stood there with him, and he called out his own name, which is what? When you get to heaven, you might want to know his name. 
I'm being serious. We, we call him God to name of a, right, a loyalty, affinity, the name of greatness, but his name is not God. He says, what is my name? The scripture writers, as they wrote the scripture, they would not finish writing the name because they saw the name Yahweh as so holy and so sacred. We're told that many would bow before they'd finish writing it, and some would just leave a letter off just to make sure people understood this name is holy. This name is sacred. You don't just flippantly throw this name around because a lot of, there was a lot of gods. A lot of people followed gods both then and now. But when you say Yahweh, it's kind of like saying you're a Christian, but when you say Jesus, things get a little weird, especially publicly, right? You can talk about every kind of God under the sun and the man upstairs, and we want to thank God. But when you say, I want to thank my Lord and my Savior, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, people get a little weird, right? It's strange. But he says, this is my name, Yahweh, verse 6. The Lord passed in front of Moses, calling out. Can you imagine? The mountains were trembling. When he says this, he says, Yahweh, the Lord. Because every knee must bow and every tongue must confess. And the mountains trembled at this. The God, watch this, of compassion and mercy. Do you know that version of him? He says, I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I'd lavish unfailing love to how many generations? How many say it? To a thousand generations. That's where his love that's unfailing goes. He says, I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations and I forgive iniquity and rebellion of sin. That's going to mess with somebody because you thought that he just wanted to, to punish you for your sin. But he says he wants to forgive you for your sin. But I do not exercise or I do not. I'm sorry. I do not excuse the guilty. I lay the sins of the parents upon the children and the grandchildren. The entire family is affected. Someone say the entire family. There's no such thing as secret sin. There's no such thing as private sin. There's no such thing as secret addictions. Sin affects what? Preach it. Sin affects what? Entire family. Even children in the third and the fourth generation. Do you remember that I said the understanding of God doesn't come from us about him? It comes from him about him. And he reveals this here in the scripture to us. And so I'm just going to sit right here in Genesis chapter 34 for the next few moments. Verse uh, 6, we'll put it on the screen there. And i got to ask you a question. Is he the God of compassion and mercy or the God of fire and brimstone? He can't be both. Which one is he? Someone's going to have to start doing some things right now. He says, I am the God of compassion and and mercy. I am the God looking to intercede on your behalf. I am the God looking to make a way out of no way. I am the God looking to give you water in the midst of your deserts. I am the God looking to open a door that no man can close and close the doors no man can open. I am the God looking to promote you and to elevate you. I am the God that will walk with you in the darkest of times and tell you that I am still there. I am the God to carry you in every season of life. Watch this. Whether it feels like it or not. I am the God that supersedes emotions and feelings. I am the God that's there. So you will never be alone. You might feel lonely, but you're never alone. This is who he is. He goes on to say that he is, in verse 6 still, he is slow to anger. Someone's going to make it up in your mind. Is he slow to anger or is he an angry God? He can't be both. He cannot be both. He cannot be ready to come down on you and be slow to anger. He says, no, my, 
My goal is not to come down on you. My goal is to give you time to repent. My, to, my goal is to give you time to see who I am and, and that I love you and that I'm for you. He goes on to say he is filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. Was well, he filled with unfailing love and faithfulness? Or is he a bitter God who regrets creating you? Which one is he? He can't be both. You've got to know who he is. You've got to know the heart of the Father, not from the world and not from well-meaning preachers and teachers, but from his own words, out of his own mouth. He goes on to say this in verse 7. He has unfailing love that he gives to a thousand generations. That's a lot. He's looking forward to move in your life so those who you have influence, he can move in their life. He's looking forward to you being public with your faith, to you coming out with your faith. He's looking forward to you being a written epistle read of men. He's looking forward to it, to a thousand generations. We've read it right there. You know, I'm thinking in my life, if you don't know, the reason why I stand on this stage is not because I went to Bible college. It's not. And it's not because my dad's a pastor and went to Bible college. It's not. It's because of these two little old ladies, two generations back. One, Martina, from my maternal side, and one, Mercedes, from my paternal side. These Latin women could pray you out of the church. <laughs> oh, try them. Try to tell them you had a, a hurt or a pain. Try to tell them you were far from God and didn't believe in his goodness. Try to tell them that God was all he promised to be. You, you would lead different. I can guarantee you that. Like this, these were women who prayed, interceded. I wish I could tell you they were godly men two generations ago, but there weren't. They were godly women. They were godly women. And that's why we need women in the church. We need women in leadership. We need women teaching and preaching and speaking because if Jesus needed them and I needed them, I think we all need them. And so they prayed and, 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 and they prayed for generations. And I can remember as clear as day walking into both of their homes or both of their rooms. And there's always an open Bible, always an open Bible. And some of you will get this. You know, the open Bible and the pages are a little wet from the anointing oil. Yeah, some of y'all know what I'm talking about. Like, this is, the, this is the stock that I come from. These are the women that I come from. This is why I'm on a stage right now, because the Lord promised not me and not my mom and my dad. He promised these women that if you're faithful, even though my dad was just everything the world offered for 35 years, but his word can't do what? It can't return void. It can't come back empty. And although I had my seasons and, and everything else, I had to come back. I had... Because his word can't return void. And he's lavishing thousands of generations. So it's not just about them and my parents and me. Now my daughters, which I shared with you guys last week, my eight-year-old now, this, this story has come true for her. That she can't help it because of now her great-grandmother. Are you hearing who he is? Are you seeing who he promises to be? Verse 7 goes on to say, he forgives iniquity, rebellion, and sin. Did you hear it? Did you see that? Did you read it? He forgives iniquity, rebellion, and sin. So you're mixing your guys up. You think God's making a list and checking it twice. You're mixing him up with somebody else. You're mixing him up with somebody else. I've heard people literally say, I missed out on this because I've sinned, or I missed out on that. Oh, I must have done something wrong. I must have... No, 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 no. If you repented, if you were sincere in your heart, the Bible says he has forgiven you and he loves you. 
oh, this must be from this era, this season of my life. No, you, that's bad, bad, bad theology. You don't know this God. You know people who will treat you differently based on what you've done to them. But you don't know this God. He lives to intercede for us, and he lives to forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin. He covered everything. You might say, yeah, you don't know what I've done. If it's iniquity, rebellion, and sin, it's been covered by the blood of Jesus. Amen? Amen. He goes on to say in verse 7, he does not excuse the guilty. Now, verse 7 is for the person who thinks that you can have a pet sin. That's what verse 7 is for. Verse 7, in that exchange of it, is the person that says, well, well, it's not like I'm sleeping around. It's not like I'm com- committing some kind of crime or fraud. It's not like anybody knows about the porn habit. It's not like I'm hurting anybody. This is my private. He doesn't excuse our pet sin. Are you hearing me, men? Are you hearing me, students? Are you hearing me, ladies? He doesn't excuse our pet sin. And what is our pet sin? Whatever you and I go to when we're mad, sad, Angry, frustrated, stressed out, that's our pet sin. When we lose our cool, when we say what we shouldn't have said, that's our pet sin. And God says, yeah, I don't excuse that if you're going to continue to operate in that. Now, if you're going to repent, if you're going to be contrite, if you're going to humble yourself, you're going to get accountability, and you are, God, I'm going to set my face to change, and yeah, I might slip off and my fall, but I'm coming back. A man might fall once, but man, God will bring him back up, Right? Like, that's different. I want to make sure we're not misconstruing things here. That He says, no, I will judge sin. And if you think you can live in sin and, and, and vacillate in the world and then come in Sunday and act a certain way and be someone publicly and then be someone privately, he said, yeah, that doesn't work. Not because he doesn't love me, not because he doesn't love you, because he's a just God. And he can't be God if he's not just. And if you don't think you like justice, Go ahead and let somebody you love get hurt and tell me if you like justice or not. Go ahead and have your home not be protected and tell me if you like justice or not. You and I love justice way more than we think. And here's where he closes it out. He says he lays the sins of the parents upon their children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren. He goes to third and fourth generation. So see, you and I thought we had a private sin, but what we found out is that private or not, you're seeing it play out in the children. And you see this a lot of times when you watch like um, movies, uh, different actors, entertainers, and you see their life. And most of these documentaries or movies, they live a terrible life. Let's just be honest. Let's just call it what it is. Great musicians, great actors, great whatever, but they live a terrible life. And do you know how we see it play out? Their children, their grandchildren, and their great-grandchildren. Whether it's politics, whether it's entertainment, whether it's athlete, you see it play out in these generations. Right now, you can look up any famous whoever and go ahead and look and find their children and all the chaos and mix-up that they're in because you see it play out right in front of us. So do you know what I want you to know, man, woman, father, mother, grandfather, step-parent? Do you know this? Unless you slay the current giants of sin in your life, your children will be fighting them. My sin is going to die with me at the grave. False. Not because I said so, because God says so. You know who knew something about this? The shepherd David. See, the shepherd David, he wasn't a king yet. He didn't have any wife yet. He didn't have any children yet. But he knew when he came up against Goliath of Gath, the Philistines, unless he slayed this giant and cut his head off, his children's children will be dealing with this giant. 
And so we, we hear, we read in the scripture that he, he has a slingshot, he knocks them down. He says, this isn't enough because my children, Solomon's not going to be fighting Goliath. And Solomon fought some things, but it wasn't Goliath because his dad took him out and cut his head off. And so what I hope you're seeing here is the true heart of the father, that you're, you're beginning to see who he says he is about himself. A.W. Tozer, he closes out this thought with this quote, and I'll share it. He says this, we tend by a secret law of the soul to move toward, listen to this, our mental image of God. This is dangerous if we are raising children with the wrong mental view of God. If we are using God as some God's going to punish you and God's going to get you and you better listen to me or we have friends and family or work colleagues and we try to leverage God and we formulate somebody's wrong image of God, do you know we could destroy them? We could create all kind of wrong views of God. It goes on to say this. This is true not only of the individual Christian, but of the company of Christians that encompass the church. Always the most revealing thing about the church is her idea of what? That right now as we're building a church called Legacy Church, right now as we're building a community, disciples of people, if we miss this, we miss everything. If we try to say, well, here's who I think he should be, and here's how I can leverage something if I tell you he's this, or here's how I grew up, and this is what I just always known him to be. No, he is who he reveals himself to be. And it's our job to do what? Get out the way. And say, here's who he presents himself to be. Pray and process that. Inform your heart towards him based on his heart. Because if we miss this, if we have a flawed view of God, we've missed everything. Because if you have a flawed view of God, everything in your life becomes flawed. If God is primary and everything else is after God, whether it's relational, mental, emotional, financial, you name it, it is flawed without a proper view of God. If we have to get this right, and when Jesus comes, his number one goal is to get us to know him as the Father. In the four Gospels, you have at least 189 times mentioned the Father because he wants to make sure you understand he is what? Our Father. He is the one that we long to, and our perception and our view of him matters. When Jesus is at his most difficult moment of his 33 years on this earth, fully God, but remember fully man as well, most difficult moment in the Garden of Gethsemane, the place of the pressing. He's been betrayed by Judas. Those who he has close to him fell asleep on, on him. You remember the story? Like those who are supposed to have his back had the back of their eyelids. At his most difficult time, the Bible tells us he's sweating, sweating drops of blood, interceding praying, crying out. This would be the most difficult time of your life. He sees not just the pain, what really he saw was disconnection from God for the first time of eternity, past and present. And I want you to see what your Jesus does, crying out, seeking God's face, screaming out to God. He says this in Mark 14, 36. I want you to see what he says. It's very intentional. You only get this a couple times in scripture. He says, 
not just Father, but what? Abba, Father. This is Jesus crying. This is him interceding. This is him saying, God, I need you. I need you more than I've ever needed you in these 33 years of ministry. He says, Abba, Father, he cried out. Everything is possible for you, but please take this cup of suffering away from me. And this is how he finishes. Yet, I want your will. Someone say that. I want your will to be done, not mine. So then the question is, of knowing the heart of the fathers, do you know him as Abba Father? This gets away from any human experience or human environment because a lot of times we'll try to project uh, human fathers and the qualities that they lacked on God and we'll try to misconstrue those two. But do you know him as Abba Father? Because Abba Father is different. It's a Hebrew word, and it's always followed by Father in the Scripture. It translates to intimacy or an intimate expression of the Father. Maybe you would say Dad or you would say Daddy. and You see it's only a couple times in Scripture. And if you're a parent, a grandparent, or have any kind of ownership in the lives of children, when they cry out to you and need you, it's not Dad or it's not Father. It's Dad or it's Daddy, right? I can remember this one time. Um, Courtney and I were, were newer parents, so I didn't know this about her. Courtney's got some wonderful qualities. Amazing mom, amazing wife. She's like, where are we going with this? <laughs> amazing person. Like anything you need, she's there for you, except she's not a good first responder. <laughs> if you're hurt, bleeding, broken, choking, you name it, she like gas and she freezes. Anybody else like that? Like, I'm sure in her mind she knows what she wants to do, but like getting the body to follow the mind doesn't really work that way. Anything else you need, she's got you. Shirt off her back, she's got you. First responder, you better call 911. So you'll remember this, Courtney. Uh, We've married a couple years. Anna had to be, I don't know, one or two. We had that townhouse with the stairs. You remember that? And I'm coming down the stairs of the townhouse. I don't know how, but at the top of the stairs, I caught Courtney, like, doing her gasping. I'm like, all right, this is bad. She's not communicating. And I look, and Anna's doing the same thing. But Anna is choking, and she's mouthing dad. (laughs) Courtney's my eyewitness. I jumped from the top of the stairs. I didn't have time. I jumped off the top of the stairs. I don't know what I broke or what I hurt. My back does hurt today, but that could have been because of that experience. I jumped off the top of the stairs. I jumped in that high chair, and I'd sweep whatever was in her mouth out. And by that time, Courtney was like, oh, I was going to do that. <laughs> I know you were, sweetheart. I believe you with all of my heart. I'm just glad someone else was here. But when, you, when I saw my, my sweet little baby mouthing with gasping daddy, something clicked, something turned, where I jumped off the second flight of steps. Like what, you, you know, I could have ran down in probably the same time, but it didn't matter. I had to go there and now and whatever it took. And I want you to see your father that way, that when you cry out, Abba, Father, that might be new language to many of you here today. When you cry out, Abba, Father, that's dad, that's daddy, that's, no, they need me now. But there's something now that we can't delay, we can't wait for shalom or peace. Because when you pray like this, it's different. When you see God's face like this, it's different. We're told when Jesus prays like this, ministering angels came. 
God heard him. And he gets up from that space, and you know the rest of the story. He walks out courageous and brave and Messiah in all of his splendor and wonder. But he had to be strengthened by what? The Abba. Abba Father. He had to be strengthened by the one who was for him. You know, I I found it interesting that when the disciples, they asked Jesus not, hey, how do you do the whole turn water to wine? Like, how do you do the fish and the loaves? Because that, that makes a pretty good income, you know, if you can just kind of do that really quick. Hey, that brings somebody to, to, from dead to life. Like, that's a good party trick. That means I can take out my sibling and bring them right back, right? Peter probably says, so I can take my wife out and bring her back when I'm ready? Like, that's how that would work? I, I found it very interesting. They never asked Jesus any of that. You know what they asked him? How do you know the Father like that? How do you pray like that? They saw this intimacy when he said, Daddy, when he said, Dad, when he said, Abba. They said, wow, how do, you, how do you know him like that? And Jesus teaches them. He says, okay, I'll teach you this. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. We call it the Lord's Prayer. It's for the disciples' prayer. But he teaches them. He says this. He says, our what? Not our judge. Not our boss. Not our disciplinarian. Father in heaven. He said, if you don't know him as your father, you're going to miss everything else. Of all the things they could have asked, we want to know him like you do. And Jesus says, if you don't know him as a father, you won't truly know him. And I want to tell you this today. If you don't know him as a father today, you truly don't know Yahweh. You truly don't know him. If he's a religious figure, if he's a, a power of a powerful being, if he's a force, you don't know him. He is a father, a loving father who is for you. And here's the beauty. You don't have to have grown up with a father to know him as a father. Because although many of us had a great father, they will never amount to God. And any good qualities in our father, do you know what that reflects? Our Father in heaven. This is what he wants for us. And if God wants above anything else for us to see him as a father, do you know what that means? The devil wants among anything else for your view of God as a father to be distorted. If God wants more than anything else right here today, right where you are, watching online in the building, if he wants nothing more for you to walk out here today and have a proper view of the heart of the father for you, The devil wants nothing more than distort your view of him as your father. He wants to plant seeds in your understanding of God the Father. And so for many of us, your father maybe hurt your view of God. And for others of us, it's just been the devil planting seeds. Distorting your view of God, saying, does God really care? Saying, when will he come through? Saying, why he allowed this to happen in your life and not somebody else's life? Why did you have to be abused? Why did you have to be hurt? Why did you have to go through that marriage? Why did you have to experience that financial hardship? Why that frailty and that health situation? Why distorting view as though this life is all that matters? Like, there is another life to come, and that's the one we focus on. Like, there's only healing in this life? Oh, it's the one to come. Distorting our view of the Father is a devil's master plan. 
Satan is crippling a whole generation right now as we speak. Do you know right now they call this the fatherless generation? He's crippling the view of an entire generation, a rebellious generation, a generation that does not want to submit to what? Authority, because that's the father's role, teaching you submit to authority. A whole generation, a stumbling block that as now they've got to rectify the view of the father, well, this is how I viewed my father or lack of a father being present. This is my rebellious view. And they don't call it rebellious. They call it finding themselves. My way, how I feel, what I identify with. No, 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 no. I identify with who God says I am. I identify with how God leads me and guides me. And the moment I detach myself from how God calls me, how he identifies and his plan for me is the moment I fall away from the Father's heart. And so we're in a generation that we've got to teach. We've got to reteach the heart of the Father. We've got to reteach submission to the Father. That yes, you can be an individual. You can be creative. You can walk however you like to walk. But may it not be away from the principles and the precepts and the laws of God. This does not change. The Bible says he changes not, which would say the God of Exodus is the God of 2023. Changes not. And and this is the heart of the Father. And this is what he wants us to know, that on the the side of each and every one of us is there's, there's there's this space that might be a hole for many of us, the affirmation of a father. The affirmation of, I love you and I'm proud of you, not for the good things you have done and the accomplishments in your life, but because you're mine. If you don't know that, there's a hole in you right now that's needing the affirmation of a father. And that's why we need God in our lives. And that's why we need to know and understand the heart of a father. Did you know that we're not alone? Jesus as well needed the affirmation of the father. Matthew chapter 3 and verse 17, Jesus has done nothing great yet. He's getting baptized to go into his ministry. And do you know what God says to him? I want to read this with you. It says this, and a voice from heaven said, this is my dearly loved son who brings me what? One translation says, this is the son in whom I'm well pleased. He had done nothing yet. There's no There's no moonwalking on water. There's no opening the blinded eyes. There's no sermon on the mount. He said, because you're mine, you bring me great joy. Because you're mine, I'm well pleased. I don't know who needs to hear this, but in my time this morning at 3 o'clock in the morning, God said, you tell someone today, you bring me great joy. Not because of what you've done, but because you're mine because I created you and I love you and I value you and I've counted every tear you've cried and I know every hair on your head. You bring me great joy. Please know that. Not, not, not when you get there. Not when you accomplish. Not when you get to be super Christian, whatever that is. You bring him great joy. This is the father that I want to introduce you to today. Right where you are. <laughs> While we were yet sinners, what happened? God sent his son and Christ died for us because you brought him great joy because you're his. He values you and he loves you. 
You know, the attributes of the father that I hope that you and I can begin to really understand and, and, and know how much he loves us is God doesn't just read our verbal cues. He reads our nonverbal cues. And I think God knows this from having his first daughter, Eve. Because what you'll find out with daughters is you have to pay attention, not just to what they say, but what they don't say, because that thing will get you in trouble. Same thing with, with, with having a spouse. I don't want to get in trouble, though, okay? Like, you have to pay attention to what they're not saying, like the, the, the body language and the size and everything else, right? <sighs> oh, gosh, what happened? How much is going to cost me? Because it costs you. You know, you got to take your daughter out on a ride. You got to go get a, a smoothie. You got to go something to eat, and then she'll, she'll open up eventually, right? It's a process, and it costs you every time. As a good father even hears the what? Not just the words, but the size. This hurts. This is hard. I didn't think I'd still be here. Same struggle, same hurt, same pain. Uh, this is a new year, and it came up again. Same temptation. Like, he hears the size, and he hears, watch this, the groanings. Exodus chapter 6 and verse 5, it says this. This is God speaking. Moreover, I have heard the what? The groanings of Israel, whom the Egyptians are enslaving. I have remembered my covenant. God, it hurts, or crying, or tears, or heartache. He said, I heard it, but watch this. And because I heard your groaning, I remembered my covenant. You called it whining. God said, you reminded me how much I love you. You reminded me that I have to be there for you. I have to make a way. I have to part some Red Seas. I have to liberate some situations. I have to be a pillar by day and a pillar by night. I have to be that for you. God hears, are you kidding me? My cronings? Psalms 5.1, David declares, Oh, Lord, hear me as I pray. Pay attention to my what? He knew this about God. He said, you, you won't just count my tears. You'll hear my intimate groanings. In Romans 8, 26, maybe my favorite, it says, we do not know what we ought to pray for. Have you been there? Like, I, it hurts or I, it's frustrating or I just don't know God's, I need discernment. I don't know exactly what to say. I don't have the words and I'm not eloquent in speech. But the spirit himself intercedes for us through what? Wordless groanings. We're just told the Holy Spirit, we're told the huach of God will take to God. Mm, mm, again, this hurts. I can't forgive again. I can't love again. I can't do this. Mm, mm, just a groan, just from the belly of who you are. If you haven't groaned, you are not over the age of 15. If just Oh, at work or oh, at home or with your spouse, with your kids or with finances or with just life in general. Oh, God. And we're told the Spirit takes it to the Father. And he remembers, Exodus says, what? His covenant. That never will he leave you or forsake you. His covenant, he orders your steps. His covenant in Jeremiah. Remember when he released that? His plans for your good and not evil, plans to prosper you, give you hope in the future. He's reminded of his covenant. So just groan before your Lord. Just groan and let him know that he is your God and your Lord. You know, I was trying to figure out how to finish with this message. 
And in my heart, I wanted to go prodigal son with it and like really show you the heart of the father and the father falling on the neck of the son. But I don't know, because the time started melting together. It was 2.30, 3.30, somewhere in there. Here's what God gave me. He said, no, you're going to give them something a little more graphic, a little more detailed. You're going to take them to the book of Hosea. If you haven't been in this book before, get ready. And if you can't find it in your Bible, at least take a note. Hosea chapter 1 and verse 2, you're going to see God asking the prophet Hosea to do something that has never been done before or after. He's going to ask the prophet to enter into a relationship that's going to symbolize his relationship with Israel. And it's the heart of the father and it's moving. But what you have to see in this entire exchange is how much God loves you and how much he is for you. Verse 2 says this. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, go and marry a promiscuous woman. Have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, this land, which would be the people in Israel, God's people, is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. So he married Gomer. Unfortunately, her name was Gomer. But more unfortunate that he had to walk into this relationship that he knew was going to be adulterous. And so if you keep reading the scripture, which we don't have time, but it says that they began to have children. And three children. And every time they had a child, the name of the child reflect how Israel, God's people, how we distance ourselves from God because of life, responsibility, hardships, you, you, name, you name it, seasons of life. Every child would be born and the name would, would speak to how they distance themselves from God. And so what happens is they create a home and they have a family. They have mom and they have dad and they have the, the, they have the children and they have this, this beautiful home. And, and what we find is that true to God's prophecy, Gomer, she leaves the home. She leaves the family and she can't be found. She can't be found. All that gets back to Hosea her husband. This is a real marriage. This is a real family. All that gets back to him is that she's out there with everybody. It's tough to swallow, right? She's out there with everybody. She's broken the covenant of marriage. She's broken everything that you built as a family. And you'll never guess what God asked Hosea to do. You'll never guess what God, because in my heart, I'm like, okay, God can tell us that you're done with this. This is biblical grounds for divorce. You, you walk away, you, you go and you, you build a future. Because remember, this is bad PR for a prophet. Like, please read between the lines. He's a prophet. And his, his life is in shambles. His family's in shambles. God tells Hosea, go rebuild. Or not. Chapter 3, verse 1, it says this. The Lord said to me, go show your love to your wife again. He doesn't even have her. He just heard who she's been with. Go show your love to your wife again, though she is loved by another man, is an adulteress. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites. God is saying, this is what you do to me all the time. I can't 
gave everything for you in the moment something goes wrong in your life, in the moment things don't go your way, in the moment there's a hardship, in the moment there's a trial, you walk so far from me. I don't hear from you in prayer. I don't hear from you in church. I don't hear from you in giving. I don't hear from you in Bible study. I don't even hear from you. And he hadn't heard from Gomer. He says, love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods. Though they go everywhere else, love her. And so between verse 1 and verse 2, something is happening. Go and find her. You know what that meant? Go and find her which meant he didn't know where she was, which meant now that she's having adulterous ways, she's selling herself for money. And so that helps him track down where she may be. If she's selling herself for money, she'd be where? The local marketplace. And so he, I don't know, maybe tucks the kids in, make sure they've got something to eat. And he says, God, you're asking too much. But like Jesus said, whatever your will is, that's what I want. And we're told he goes and he finds her. And, and I don't know on the way what he's thinking. I don't know if there's, there's traumas in his mind, his heart. He's getting visuals of what she's been doing. I don't know what's running through his heart and his mind, but I can only assume it's hard and it's harsh. And we're told this in, in verse 2 that he walks into the marketplace and he sees her on the trading block. And I, and I don't know when their eyes meet that he sees the one whom he loves. He sees the wife that God gave him. He sees the one in all of her shame, and she is hurting and broken. And we're told in verse 2, it says this, So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and a lethic of barley. Remember, Jesus was traded us. A male slave was traded for 30 pieces of silver. A woman would be half of that, 15 shekels of silver. And they catch eyes, and she's broken. She's given herself to everything this world has to offer. And no way Hosea would want her back. And on the trading block, she just doesn't know who's going to buy her, what he's going to do to her, and how he'll have his way with her. And out of the crowd rises one. I'll buy her. What's the price? I'll pay it. And we're told he buys her back. We're told he buys her back. We're told that he tells her, you ought to live with me many days. He buys her back. And and Gomer, who was lost and hurt and broken, not because of anything anyone outside of her, her own actions and decisions, she's bought back. And if this, does, this doesn't move you, you don't understand that I'm Gomer. You don't understand that you're Gomer. That we have gone out to every other God in every other season of life, in every other spiritual adulterous way, and we've been on the trading block and you know what he said? I'll buy him back. I'll buy him back. We've given ourselves to every kind of thought, every kind of activity, every kind of behavior, and yet and still, I'll buy him back. I'll give my son every single time. 
This is the heart of the Father. This is what this whole message has been trying to get to. That you and I, we're Israel. There are moments and seasons of our days, our weeks, and our months where we are so far from God in our thoughts, in our actions, in our commitment, in our communion. We are so far from him. We are literally on the trading block to sell ourselves to every anxiety, to every fear, to every lust, to every worry, to every concern, to every hobby. We're just selling ourselves all the time. And, oh, yeah, I probably should have given God time today. Oh, yeah, I probably should have sought his face this week. And he sees us and he says, I'll pay the price for him. I'll buy them back. And they're going to be with me for the rest of their days. God literally takes us in a story that I don't know if there's a more graphic story in the Bible. And he says, but this is what my people do. They have adulterous ways, but I paid the price through my son. And and Jesus, for you and I, that's the 15 shekels. When we do communion, I need you to think about the 15 shekels. That's his blood. When you participate on the Sabbath, on a Friday or the Shabbat, that's the 15 shekels. That's why you and I are bought back. Because a lamb was slain. Do you now see the heart of the Father? Do you now see how much he loves you? Do you now see that there's not a price he wouldn't pay? Do you now see there's nothing you and I could do? There's, we couldn't outrun his grace. We couldn't outrun his love. We can't outrun his mercy. And we're told, we're told Hosea sees Gomer. And he says, I love you. And he says, I want you to come back home. He says, I don't care where you've been. I don't care what you've done. You're mine. So I don't know who you are. But please, please know this is a depiction of us. And God wants you and I to be loyal and faithful to him above anything else. And when we miss the mark, he's willing to bring us back home. But we thank you for loving us. There are not words, God, to think about in my life, the moments on the trading block, and yet you found me. You came looking for me at the market. I didn't go looking for you. And you paid the price. And you brought me back home. Lord, I pray we all see ourselves in this story. We all think of the moments throughout our days, throughout our weeks, throughout our months, God, when we are just far far in our hope, far in our peace, far in our joy, far in our restoration, far in our belief that you are who you say you are. And that there'd be a newfound appreciation, God, that this story would not fall on deaf ears. The heart of the Father saves us from the trading block and brings us back home. Thank you for loving us the way you do. Thank you for giving us the way you do. Thank you. You love us even with our spiritual adulterous ways where we will call a friend. We will look on Google. We will try to pay for something. We will do everything else before we go to you. And we will say all that's left now to do is pray and fast. Forgive us, God, for we have sinned. We repent, God. I repent, God. 
for searching in all the wrong places. But I pray today as we walk into this series, God, first and foremost, we understand the heart of our Father. That you are well pleased with us. That you find joy in us. That right now there are groans in the building that you hear. And Holy Spirit, you take those to the throne room. Right here, right now, there are things outside of our control. There are things we know you have promised. And it's just a groan right now. But you hear it. And you're going to make a way. So we love you, God. I don't know what we can offer you being bought off the trading block for 15 shekels. I don't know what we can offer you today outside of our loyalty and allegiance for the rest of our days. So we offer you that, God. We want to be loyal to you. We want to pledge our allegiance to you before country and anyone else. We want to tell you that you are king of our soul. We want to make Messiah every part of our day. And thank you, God, for rescuing us and loving us. Thank you for buying us back with the blood of Jesus. And we will never take his blood for granted again. With your heads bowed and eyes closed, if you are far from God today, if you've gone back to old habits and old behaviors, if your relationship is not where it should be, I want to ask you to rededicate your life today. If you have never prayed to receive Jesus as your Savior, as your Lord, if you've never repented of your sin, I want to also ask you to pray with us and receive him as your Lord. Because he wants to buy you back. Church, if you'll pray this prayer with me and, and those who will be praying this, rededicate their life or maybe for the first time asking the Lord into their life. Lord God, we believe in you. We repent of our sins and welcome you into our life. Holy Spirit, give us a hunger for your word and for discipleship. God, thank you for buying us back. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Put your hands together for those who prayed that prayer. We hope that you are challenged, impacted, and blessed by the message today. For more information, please visit LegacyChurchAI.org or take a moment to follow us on Instagram at LegacyChurchAI.